This is Zach again. We have... Evelyn. Carlo. And we're back to podcasting. Boy, I am just a bundle of energy today, and yeah, I am I excited about that. <laughs> I had caffeine, and it is great. How are you guys doing? Not too bad. How about yourself? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's Sunday. It's an early... It's not really early. It's afternoon. Early afternoon on a Sunday, I guess. I can get my way into that somehow. So, uh, yeah. Carlo, how about yourself? I got four hours of sleep. Ooh, <laughs> clearly you need some coffee. Uh, well, I mean, I had a bit of a Red Bull earlier this morning. So that's <laughs> yeah, fine. That's somewhere. Um, but I stayed up until Bull. five a.m. playing Stellaris. What is that? I've never um, even heard of so that. So it is a uh, it's a game that came out last year, or no, two years ago maybe. Um, but it is like one of those four X games where you um, uh, explore, expand, exploit, exterminate. Hmm. Uh, so kind of like Civilization. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Um, except it's set in space. Oh. And it is really, really awesome, and it's a lot of like uh, dealing with like sort of like crazy politics. It's a it's a paradox game. So if you know some of their other games, um, like Crusader Kings. Yeah, yeah, I know Crusader Kings. Uh, I've, City Skylines. Yep, I'm. Fam- I was. I've been debating buying sitting. Ah, bad words. Uh, I've been debating buying City Skylines for like a year and a half, and just like haven't bitten the bullet on it. But I played Crusader Kings for. A while. Never actually played the vanilla game. I always just played the Game of Thrones mod, if I'm honest. Uh, <laughs> uh, live out my fantasies of Rob Stark actually winning. Yeah, like, I've, uh... <laughs> so I basically spent f- the entirety of, like, Saturday just playing that through, and then by the time I saw it was 2 a.m., I said, okay, maybe a few couple more turns, and then it was 5 a.m. Yeah. And then I took a nap. Yep, that so. sounds like the, uh, the Civilization game is just, you know, nah, I'll just go one more turn, and then all of a sudden you've wasted your life. It's yeah. gone. It's yeah, in all fact, just disappeared. Those are the kinds of games I always have to quit and uninstall. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, I woke up this morning and then immediately got back on it. <laughs> I played it all the way up until I had to come here. So That is a uh, that is a champion plan right there. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we've got some fun things to talk about today. Honestly, uh, the thing I've been most excited to talk about was something that came up, I think, towards the end of last week when they announced the newest Call of Duty game, which is going back to World War II. Uh, so there was an article in Polygon not long after that was all announced. Uh, that was an interview with one of the the creative directors, and they're sort of talking about how oh you know we want to create more of a a realistic and sort of more gritty look into World War II than we've previously done in the past, make it a little bit more real. Uh, and I was and the the guy from Polygon asked, okay, so well you're having it be a bit more gritty a bit more real to actual war are you and this is world war ii are you going to have concentration camps and they're like well let's uh let's not go too far with that you know we may we have that come in in oh some my way God. i mean <laughs> no but we have zombies yeah i mean that's obviously We're a problem as well not going to deal with any actual politics or the meaning behind this greatest war that we've ever fought well, and, we're ignoring all of that and it's just about blowing each other up absolutely and but what that sort of got me thinking about is you know, I can understand why they might be hesitant because a game fundamentally has to be fun. And looking at concentration camp stuff is not going to be no. fun. No, it's very it's a very hard topic to grapple with, um, yeah. especially when you 
when you're talking about like the first or even third person genre where it's very shoot bad guys and you basically are this one man rampaging and single-handedly taking on the entirety of Hitler's army by himself. Yeah. All with an M22 Garand. Uh, <laughs> Single rifle. Yeah. Winning everything. Bolt no, action, but you got it. But I mean, it's, and that sort of got me thinking, you know, is that a fundamental problem with games that they have to be fun like i mean spec ops the line was the only game i could think of that was like i was gonna mention war, that yeah one. A, that's the only game i can think of that's a war shooter game that really takes on those kind of complex topics and it, you know critically beloved certainly i don't actually know how it did financially i think it did fairly uh, all right but no it, it didn't really do all that well um in terms of uh popularity and in terms of popularity it was definitely more of a cult classic and more of something that was uh, talked about more by game critics rather than actual players. Yeah, um, it, it did feel like that. Yeah, but but that said, it was it was actually a very incredible game. I mean, to be fair, the gameplay kind of sucked, and I think that's part of the that was almost intentional, where the gameplay was a very generic. For was it first or third person? It, I think that was a third, third person, person one. Third person shooter, very like typical combat stuff. You start shooting bad guys, but then it, the story just starts slowly slowly slipping into this ptsd filled yeah, like nightmare it, it really is a nightmare for most of it and that's i mean that was sort of what i was sort of thinking is you know if that game didn't do that well and you know obviously call of duty is probably not going to be the best ones to take on world war ii atrocities and the holocaust anyway but at the same time is that like are we going to get a video game schindler's list because a game has to be well fun I like that yeah. you... It was interesting that you mentioned that that game that I don't know the name of... Spec Ops. Spec Ops. Spec Ops was a horror game, because I was racking my brains for any game that really tackles, like, real serious issues like that, and the only thing I can think of, actually, is horror games, because they deal with a lot of, sort of, the supernatural part of really shitty things that happen, like PTSD and postpartum depression, and abuse and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of... So it's not to say that there's no games yeah, that yeah, don't I, I do, that, but do first-person shooters are definitely not on the top of the list. Yeah, I do want to... Like, yeah. There's definitely a lot of games that do take on really, really tough topics, but particularly when talking about the toughest of topics... Yeah. Uh, you know, And thinking about, is that... <coughs> is the fact that a game has to be fun a problem you know is is that something that is sort of holding a game back from being as great as it could be and, and that's something i honestly don't know the answer to it was something that i was kind of really excited to ask questions about because I, I you know there's yeah. been a lot of indie games that people have praised also for taking on really challenging topics um I'm blanking on... Papers, please, is what you're thinking of. Uh, papers, oh, please. You're thinking of uh, the Dragon Cancer, right? Uh, that one. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. That was one of the ones. Uh, um, Life yeah. is Strange is another one that gets yeah, praised well, a lot Life is Strange similar. is like... Life is Strange deals with a lot of issues, but I don't necessarily... I think it's kind of... It falls into the same trap that, like, the Walking Dead yeah. Telltale games fall into, where it's, it's, like, good, but it's still kind of, like... It's still, like, not there I, I trust me i really i love life is strange it was one it's one of my favorite games and made one of my top 10 lists if i remember correctly sure um but it the way that the story like grapples with some of those issues is very good but at the same time it's still kind of a very linear force thing you're you're making decisions but you're not really really making decisions i mean that's sort of like the that was like the mass effect problem that's why like none of your decisions matter in the yeah end. and i think that's and what ends up happening with a lot of those games too and you know, in fairness, this is something that's definitely not unique to games. It's a problem with almost any variety of media. 
is that even those things that like Life is Strange was critically beloved, everyone was talking about it as really wonderful, but I again I don't think it really saw that wide of acceptance compared to the other like big mainstream ones. And you know, on some level that is changing in in movies certainly. I mean, Disney is making a bunch of films right now of Disney of all fucking things is making films about racism and yeah. you know uh all these like societal issues like Zootopia being all about racism in America is a big one I can think of uh you know their environmental stuff is coming into a bunch of their things women's issues is coming into a bunch of their things and it's so and you can do it. It's just. It, I'm wondering how long it'll take for a game to sort of catch up, like for a big publisher like an Activision or Ubisoft or any of those guys to make a game that is really, really challenging like that. I think well, that there's sort of a uh, perception bias for a lot of games like that, where people think about the kind of person who plays Call of Duty as being a 16-year-old white guy playing sure. in his parents' living room. And that is definitely not an audience that would appreciate a game that <laughs> takes on the Holocaust. So I think that, in yeah. my opinion, is a big part of why those games are a lot more niche for people with no offense to 16-year-olds in their parents' living rooms have the emotional maturity to actually appreciate. Absolutely. Or, you know, it, even if they do, the perception is going to be among the older people who are making the game that they're not going to be able to handle it and they'll be upset by trying to handle it. Yeah. Well, I mean, so let's go back to our favorite standby, uh, Bioshock. Yes. Um, so Bioshock, um, I, I didn't really play two. If we, we t you take a look at Infinite, which we... We've which covered. We, we covered somewhat, and then we... You kind of saw, like, the sort of glaring racism that uh, happens at the very beginning, along with the rest of... True. rest of uh, that utopia. And then going back to the very first Bioshock, you deal with a lot of things about... Um, objectivism, yeah, and capitalism, philosophy, yeah, yeah, and just kind of how that impacted society, and kind of, you know, you start dealing with things like free will and, and that sort of, and those are very complex issues that I thought were very, very well done. But at the same time, it's still, it's not necessarily even the focus of the game. Like the focus of Bioshock was shooting up dudes, using fun powers to shoot up dudes, and having fun while doing it yeah and the subtext you know the subtext and text in the case of both games it's very much there and, it, and a lot of gamers will certainly respond to those games and say like yeah this is this is a really great example of how you have a extremely popular game that still takes on really really tough issues but at the same time again you don't have something where it's like really slamming you in the face with it which on some level you know a lot of people don't like to be preached to and that's valid but with some things, you know, like, again, I, I just rewatched Schindler's List super recently, and I was thinking, uh, it happened to be right after I read the article, and I was just thinking, man, I don't know if we could ever have a video game that's doing something like this, where almost the whole purpose is to just hurt your soul from the inside out. Yeah, that's actually a great point that I wasn't thinking of when you were talking about how games have to be fun. Because I would not want to play a Schindler's List video game, because yeah. I watched that in school, and it ended with me crying under my desk. So I don't want a game that's going to leave me crying under my computer desk. Right? I mean, that, and that's sort of, I guess, more what I mean when I say I'm not sure. I, I, it almost has to be fun is because, you know, there are those kind of game or the, sorry, there are those kind of movies or books you read where you just kind of put it down or you finish watching it and you're... You feel like you have to go lay down for a half yeah, hour. Yeah, <laughs> like your day is ruined, your night is ruined, and you're just like, 
fuck. But, I mean, at the same time, those are some of my favorite movies, the ones where I just come out of it, I'm just like, I am so messed up, but that was so good. One game that kind of got me that way doesn't really have a real lesson, but Inside? Yeah, so I was actually going to mention that and bring that one up. Um, so uh, that game it yeah. doesn't really have a lesson except well, maybe something about corporate power. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty hard on the corporate power yeah. thing, but it's very. I mean, so but it's heavy. Yeah, for yeah, for so I don't know if you've heard of uh, Inside. So it is the heard uh, of, but I've never. It's played. made by the creators of Limbo, right? Yeah. If I remember correctly. Yep. Um. So yeah, same. Uh, same sort of gameplay esque, except it it's taken it's like Limbo, except a little bit more fun in a weird way. Hmm. Yeah, they just um, ha- it had more complexity. Yeah, but like. The way that it's, it kind of throws you right into the middle of some of the uh, environments, um, without spoiling much of it, uh, kind of twists you in a knife. Yeah. Or, like, twists a knife in you, rather. Sure. Um, and I, I was going to say that, like, that was probably one of the games that kind of, like, made you kind of start thinking, like, coming, trying to think about it and come away with, like, sort of a lesson. Yeah. And yeah. that is a game where I sit back and sort of go, whew. And it's also a game that I come back to over and over and over again. Yeah, and those that's the case with a lot of the movies that I've watched like that as well. And, you know, some of my favorite ones, I, I wouldn't even say they necessarily have a lesson. Uh, you, one of the things that comes to mind immediately, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, is Rashomon. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a Kurosawa film that's been covered in a number of different things where it's just people trying to piece together a situation that's happened after the fact. And everyone coming to the conclusion of like everyone just lies to save face and there's nothing you can really do to stop that because people are ultimately kind of dicks who only care about themselves and you're just watching it and you kind of come with like well fuck this is really shitty and it's like that's not really a lesson i want to learn and you know apocalypse now does a similar thing you know the whole thing being just like shit sucks deal with it and you know i I can totally understand why a video game creator would not want to have their audience come away from the game feeling feeling unhappy, feeling kind of down. But I think at the same time, you can also grapple with some of these issues, some of these very, like, very, like, not as, I mean, some of them, sometimes they're dark issues, sometimes sure. they're very complex issues, um, sometimes they're societal issues, and I think that games can certainly grapple with them without necessarily having you feel uncomfortable, um... A good example is a game that I just finished recently and I'm replaying is uh, Persona 5, hmm. which is very near and dear to my heart because um, Persona 3 and Persona 4 were also very great games, as are Persona 1 and Persona 2, but for very, very different reasons. Um, <laughs> the thing I like about the Persona games is they, they kind of take this whole Shin Megami Tensai mythos about like devils and being able to summon them, which is like Pokemon except more evil, um, <laughs> and then combining it with... Uh, Jungian philosophy? Am I saying yes, that right? Jungian, yes, Jungian, yes. Jungian? Um, and just kind of throwing that in there, kind of talking about, like, who you are as a person. and Archetypes. Uh, well, yeah. Well, admittedly, everyone is... Everyone, they're high school kids, basically, right? Sure. And they all have, fall into these archetypes, which are based off of the uh, tarot arcana cards um, and based off those things. And you kind of play through the sort of fool's journey throughout the game by dealing with the problems of each and one of these people that represent these different arcanas. Sometimes they're your teammates, sometimes they just happen to be people in your life, as your, you as the character. And the interesting thing about it is that a lot of the times you're grappling with real, very, very real problems, be it um, with someone, the, some high school problem, right, where, say, this one girl in Persona 4 has to inherit, like, her 
her parents' business, essentially. And she basically feels like a caged bird and wants to fly away and, like, deal with it. And you basically, the entire part of the story that you go through with her is just her grappling with this sort of very, very real problem that's not necessarily as dark as something as PTSD, but I think they're very, very real problems. And you kind of bring yourself to solutions. And then, like, in the new Persona 5, a very, very big theme about it is kind of... uh, about sort of societal imprisonment, which is actually kind of funny because if you look at some of the uh, trailers for it or the very first announcement for it, <laughs> um, they had this giant picture where it said, um, you are enslaved. Would you like to be emancipated? Oh, that said, that was right. very it was very a it was a error in translation yeah, to kind I mean, of go with that wording. <laughs> but when you kind of like play through the game, you can kind of see exactly what they were talking about, where there are a lot of issues in society where people will turn away or not necessarily help. And this is actually a very big issue in Japan where, and um, not necessarily in Japan specifically, but in a lot of Southeastern Asian countries, good Samaritan laws don't exist. Mm. So oh, you yeah, deal they, with, you leave someone to bleed in the street when you yeah. hit them with your car. So you deal with those very, very dark problems where people are willing to overlook things like, um, like um, uh, what's the word? like a teacher beating his students or mm. a teacher sexually assaulting his students in the game. And you you end up dealing with that in the sense that you get magical powers and you can fucking <laughs> change people's hearts, which is fucking great, which is the best part about it. But it's kind of, <laughs> but it, I mean, but at the same time, you, it's kind of like showing that like people can do things in order to kind of fight against this. And I think that was a very interesting and yet dark issue that they grapple with throughout the entire story where it talks to think about, it's actually very interesting because oh, there's this big thing about this giant guy politician trying to get elected who happens to be a very crazy evil person. And I thought that was very hmm. not like real life at all. Yeah. In I mean, any way. hey, the game was the game was in development for eight years. No, no, so. no. no. I, yes, but I, I don't want to get Isn't too that political like a on this. Two hundred hour game. Uh, so I did a very, very, very quick run through of okay. it. Okay, <laughs> and, like, and you're playing it a second time already. <laughs> well, my very, very quick run through was eighty hours. 80 all right sure um and then that was so like i'm playing it on the new game plus because like i played through the 80 blind which i really wanted to do because the last time when i first played persona 4 i played with a guide unfortunately um but i wanted to see all the content and it was a couple years after it came out yeah um and going to persona 5 blind i thought was actually a lot of fun and awesome um i'm playing through it again because i want to see all the story stuff i missed because you can very easily miss story stuff in that game uh and so far, I would say that it's probably my favorite game of the year. Nice. Um, and I've played some other top tier games that mm-hmm. I also think are going to be on my top ten list. But cool. Yeah, I guess something that I was thinking about while you were while you were talking about that, uh, thinking about again, sort of taking on those real world issues in that way. Uh, I started thinking about the movie Taken, uh, which is you know it takes on. Uh, sex trafficking as like a main topic. I mean, it's an action movie, but set against the backdrop of sex trafficking. And I was thinking, you know, that would be kind of a maybe a good kind of thing to have a game of because it's a like crazy action movie, but you're still seeing all this kind of like really fucked up stuff through the whole way. And like for me personally, when I was watching Taken, it. I didn't have the feeling of like, oh yeah, this isn't really a problem because Liam Neeson's going to fix everything. What ended up happening for me was I was watching and I was like, uh, there's a part of my mind that was just thinking, man, it uh, it sucks probably to ha- be one of these many women that this happens to that don't have a Liam Neeson to break them out of it. 
and I'm sad about what happened to the rest of the Taken movies, but I wonder if you could... Like, I guess I want to see that. I want to see a Taken video game, or obviously not associated with the property, but something that's like... Oh, it could be. They could make a companion game. That's listen, happened before. Yeah, but, <laughs> but I, I, I don't have any hopes. success exclusively. Yeah, I don't... No. Uh, the Taken yeah. franchise is... is it pretty much died after the first one. Taken 3 was one of the worst movies I've seen in a long time. I haven't seen any of that movie except for the scene where it's like the 20 cuts to jump Oh, Brian Mills fence. jumps a fence? Yeah. yeah. That's one <laughs> oh of my, my God, favorite videos. Terrible. 11 seconds and they're like 14 cuts in it. Yeah. Yeah. But like... I, that's everything I know about that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a very good way to grapple with these sort of issues where you're, you're dealing with... Um, issues but at the same time you you kind of want to bring it to that mainstream audience yeah because you don't want to just turn them off now that said things like persona 5 aren't necessarily mainstream though it, this is probably the best-selling persona game of of like of so far sure but, but that kind of it, it's jrpg yeah it's and still a very not, ni- niche yeah that's not exactly at a, least in the western yeah that's not a big time genre in western cultures i i you know i wonder i think call of duty would have benefit from having at least a moment in the game where you're or if you're gonna make a world war ii game man what how powerful of a game would it be if you're like a special ops person you're liberating a well or you're going through not necessarily liberating but you're sort of like going through this whole thing and sort of exploring and uncovering all of that as it went for all like for the many soldiers who actually did that you know they parachuted the only way i can imagine them pulling it into sort of the context of a call of duty game is liberating yeah i mean guns blazing and yeah well no and i I don't think so because like do you guys remember uh, Call of Duty 4 when it first came out. First yes, one, Modern Warfare. I do Warfare. remember that one. And if you do remember, uh, well, it's fine, uh, the scene where he ends up on the helicopter, he ends up taking a missile hit, and then he falls down, and he's like, helicopter explodes, he's dragging his body off, and then you basically see the nuke off coming yeah. up in the background. Yeah. Um, that was actually incredibly jarring uh, for fans of the franchise i would say because you look at you look at call of duty 3 2 and 1 um they're basically it's like basically medal of honor yeah you're clones. one man on a mission yeah whereas in this whole thing that four kind of changed everything up i mean from a gameplay perspective with the controls and everything and just how everything worked um and to make it a very good game but i also thought that the story was actually very striking in that sense where i was trying to show you that like hey the hero doesn't always make it out. Yeah, I remember with that game, I, I did play it like much after or long after the fact before it was really like as big of a deal as it was when it first came out. But I remember with that game, a lot of people were, you know, replaying the mission over and over again because they're like, clearly I did something wrong. I'm supposed to live. How have I, I, I lost here. What, what did I do wrong? And no, you didn't do anything wrong. That's, that's the last mission right there. And, uh, yeah, I think if Call of Duty did choose to do something like that, man, that would be a really they they're kind of in a unique position to be able to. But I, you know, so the the issue here is that you have also have to remember. Um, let's let's kind of sort of talk about the logistics of like a big name franchise like Call of Duty. Yeah. Well, especially actually, now because you actually know, I would say Call of Duty is a very, a very special case where you have three different studios making yeah. the same game, so you basically have a three year timeline making. The, making a game for Call of Duty and basically they just rotate them out and that's how they can come out with a yearly schedule yep. with what they have and that's why you have things like um, you basically have oh shoot it's you have Treyarch 
Uh, um, X inf- you have Infinity Ward. That's not really Infinity Ward anymore, but you know like what I mean. Sledgehammer. I think maybe maybe Activision. Sledgehammer. I know Sledgehammer is one of them. Maybe I know yeah, it'd be Infinity Sledgehammer. Ward was one of them, but they're not in. Well, it, it's it's Infinity Ward, but not. But all the Infinity Ward guys left to go um, work at. I think it was either Dice or something somewhere mm. else. I don't know. I forget where. Um, but you, yeah, you basically had Infinity Ward and then Treyarch and then I think Sledgehammer. And um, it, that's where you get really cool things. Like I think Black Ops was actually a very good, uh, had some good story in it where they were dealing with like issues like torture and kind of like Black Ops sites yeah. and like stuff like that. Um, we all sort of remember the infamous Modern Warfare Two No Russian level, um, which uh, yeah, that which one, which, uh, which is a very interesting way to go at it. But I think I think it it. Uh, it it was they they they've kind of had tried to grapple with it here and there to various degrees of success. Yeah, that's true. Um, but at the same time, you know that most people don't play the single player. It's yeah, I mean, it's, it's a multiplayer, just a multiplayer game. game. And you, and yeah, and you, you you go there for the changes and the incremental changes for multiplayer and see what has changed every single that uh, was year. A, just kind of like Madden. That was a thing with uh, Battlefield One as well, certainly because you know. I remember thinking about that, like, you're making a World War One game? And a lot of people kind of made fun of that for, you know... It, certainly, it was an extremely successful game. From everything I have here, I haven't actually had a chance to play it. The they, single player sucked. They did a very good job in terms of the multiplayer. I, you know, I've heard mixed reviews about the single player, but, boy, World War One also one of those soul-scarring things that I'm... Um, you know, if, if you know the history of it, it's just kind of a... Yeah a horrible pointless mess the whole way through and it i'm not sure how fun that would be to translate to a game like battle shell shock in the trenches while you sit in the stew of your former friends yay eh, it's wonderful <laughs> hard to translate that into a fun experience apparently they did i've never played it either uh so yeah it's not it's it's basically like battlefield 4 with a World War One skin, yeah. Oh, well, I, I mean that's that's how you do it. Is you you don't do it. Uh, I mean, yeah. Then like I I heard the story stuff was kind of like it was like okay, like the gameplay was like very meh, and then the story stuff was just kind of just like hey, check out all these heroics done by this like one dude that decides to like do some like crazy thing that was like a pivotal change in the war, and it's like yeah. okay, cool. That's the other thing with a lot of those first person shooters is you and you know this is a fundamental thing that makes it hard to tell a story sometimes with some of those first person shooters is you can't die you have to respawn that's kind of fundamental and it, so that leaves you're how are you not going to be the one man army cutting through stuff kind of like the way that Overwatch dealt with that. Yeah. Which is that there's all this story, and the game has nothing to do with it. The game doesn't care about... <laughs> well, I was well, really well, confused well, they, about that, well, actually. That's because Overwatch was meant... Was, so if, I don't remember if you guys... Oh, I think it was called Titan, was this Blizzard... This thing came out on, like, a, a Blizzard notes I that was leaked. I do remember and, um, that. Basically, Titan... Overwatch was supposed to be Titan, but what ended up happening... In the end, it was supposed to be an MMO, which is why they have all this backstory... Um, and they ended up scrapping it um, p- for some strange reason. Maybe because WoW was being was like they were being able to get more people. I don't know. Um, Restarting all of that. Yeah. Thing. But basically, what ended up happening is they scrapped it, took all the models, and managed to make a very, very polished team-based first-person, like team-based battle arena first-person shooter. Yeah. Which 
again, to Blizzard's credit, is fucking insane. Yeah, uh, it's but pretty same, amazing. But yeah, they did in fact have all of this like backstory, which is why like you hear enormous amount of backstory. Yeah, you hear people say like, "Oh, I wish I could have played this in an MMO." It's like, well, yeah, it was, but guess what? It isn't. Yeah, I I remember when I first started hearing about Overwatch and thinking about it, I legitimately thought it was just like basically like a future sport kind of thing. I thought it was like the about the same level like Blitzball. Yeah, I thought it was, you know, the kind of thing where uh the, what what story there was would be sort of like Rocket League story where it's like this is just the sport of the future kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, like there's an audience watching your cars launch at each other. Yeah. It makes sense. Sure. Why not? Hand wave. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so I think there's there's some good stuff to think about there but i think it's also time that we you know we seem to be interested in talking about something that isn't horrible and soul scarring uh so carlo did you have anything that you're excited about <coughs> talking about these days so yeah um this is something that uh, has actually been on my mind for a while um and it's kind of the issue with it's a very very gray legality area of video Ooh. games where you start to deal with something called games preservation Hmm. Um, and I'll kind of like the reason that it it's an interesting topic is you kind of think about like you see all these games right you look at a lot of movies and you notice that there are a lot of converse conservation efforts to make sure that you have copies of movies and all their various edits and you store them in like the library of congress I and mean, you have it for books and like etc I but, learned a funny thing about that I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. but I want to go on a quick tangent I learned a funny thing that George Lucas actually was like the big push for don't change old films, leave those films the way they are, and like preserve all these older films. And I find that really funny. That is that's fucking bullshit. Right there. Yeah, isn't it? It's just like, like I mean, this is like late '90s before well, I, he started all that. But anyway, I, I wonder if he he he's talking about like preserving them, but not necessarily preserving them in a commercial sense. But yeah, I mean, that clearly, I you know, clearly he had his. Uh, he was a bit of a do as I say, not as I do in that thing. Yeah. Anyway, tangent over. Please continue. Yeah. So you kind of you kind of look at all those things, but then you so you're like thinking like, okay, so games make sense. Like it's relatively easy to get like carts or whatever, and make sure you save them, keep them in nice like uh, airtight boxes to make sure that the dust or uh, moisture doesn't um, start doesn't with damage, the contacts yeah. and rusting the contacts for those carts. Um, but then you kind of start to think about like, well. Huh. Back then, when they had carts that were out, right, how did they patch games? Oh, they patched games because they would release another cart without really telling anybody, but would release it as a new version. So yeah, then you or it would be, yeah. or in some cases, like, uh, I know there's several games where it's like, oh, yeah, there's a European version that was released Pal a little bit later. Versus, yeah. 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 Uh, and then or, there's differences, right? Yeah, and there's little subtle differences that are like patches, but they're not really an official patch either yeah and then you start, start start to think about like okay so what's the easiest way for us to do this it's basically you end up dumping the rom of the game which gets into that sort of illegal part where you mm -hmm. start talking about like emulators and stuff and it's like well how do we get people how do we make sure that people in the future will be able to play these games like you know um emulation seems like a very good way because it, that's a very easy way to to make sure that people can still play it but then you start thinking about like uh Think about like the first NES, right? And yeah. The Legend of Zelda, the very first one that came out for it. Um, if I remember correctly, uh, there are various rooms there where there are enemies that, um, due to the number of sprites on screen, would actually move slightly slower. Hmm. 
um, due to the processing of the NES. Which would make sense, yeah. Which is due to balance issues, and that's something the developer depended on. You play it in an emulator that's properly processing all of the, the instructions within the ROM, oh, it's impossible to play. You can't get through the room. They <laughs> move too fast. Um, so it's, it's a very interesting thing where you have these little quirks that emulators can't necessarily do unless you have you know, a single specific patch specifically for each game, which is very, very hard to do. And yeah, for um, many of these old games, yeah, you know, that and especially since a lot of the code on them is so esoteric and old that how like the expertise to get into that is almost dead at this point. Yeah, and then like how do you deal with things like like arcade cabinets, right, mm. which have much larger chipsets that ha- can be reflashed that sometimes contain multiple games and stuff like that. But then you start to think about you start to think more about how you like can preserve games, right? So you're like, hmm, okay, let's look let's look at the modern era. Let's think about something like um, Ultima Online, okay, or any MMORPG, okay. And you think about these servers, like you know, it's like Guild Wars, right? They run their own servers, whatever. WoW runs their own servers. Can like barring playing on illegal private servers, not many people. Um, can play that very vanilla WoW experience. I know that Blizzard has been working on some sort of thing for that, but you can't play like WoW as it was before. You can't play Diablo 2 before the patches. Like, how do you play games in between patches even? Yeah. Like, as soon as most games that are re-released nowadays come with all the patches, but then how are you ever going to re-experience this one weird bug that allows you to, like, skip half the level mm-hmm. in, a, in a game because that, that ended up getting patched and there then you is, start to there's no first edition of these kind of things for a, most of these digital games yeah. yeah and then again the games that are the games that are sold as a service where you have servers that you're never going to ever have the uh, source code for because like either they're defunct or the company never released it so you can't you basically have to try to recreate the server on your own but even then that's not actually an ideal scenario so I was wondering what you guys kind of thought about like what could you do to kind of pres- how do you preserve like these MMOs these experiences like the matrix online yeah that was a very interesting MMO that was that ended up dying a couple years ago um and they had some really fun end of game events but i was just wondering i don't know you, you you can't experience that anymore yeah i was thinking about that well what came to mind was everquest which i it is everquest still <coughs> alive i don't yeah. think I, I, I think there's EverQuest uh, 2, or I want to say there could be a thir- been a third I, one, but I don't know. I have no idea. It was one of those things that I remember it was the biggest deal for a while, and then it WoW was. came out, and Evercrack. it just, like, disappeared completely. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that is that is kind of a interesting thing to think about, particularly with MMOs and with games that are entirely service-based. Um, well, there I, are cases of, not with video games, but where things have vanished from the internet never to be seen again, like GeoCities, right? Yeah, that's true. Like, well, yeah, I mean, the sites are still there in many cases, which is really weird. But many of them, weird. they're not. Yeah. The knowledge is just gone forever from the internet, and that's a side mm-hmm. effect of, I guess, having these digital things. And I think that we have to keep in mind that there is a lot of history and, like, content that someday is just not going to be around anymore. Yeah, I mean, I know that Facebook has in, well, I don't know, I forget if it was one of the Facebook directors, I'm guessing it wasn't the Facebook director, it may have been one of Apple's directors who was saying, uh, you need to have physical copies of your media, because otherwise someday we could be in just like a gigantic empty period of history, because all of our stuff is digital, and if all the digital goes down, all of the history from this period of time will basically be 
gone. That's something I think about a lot when I, I take a lot of pictures, and it's all stored digitally. I don't yeah. have physical copies anywhere. And Yeah, I wonder that sometimes <laughs> with, you know, like, what I particularly think about more than anything else is, you know, you look at, you go to museums and stuff, and people have uh, letters from George Washington or something like that, or, like, things where they do, like, handwriting analysis on all those kind of things. That's... How the hell are you going to, like, what is going to come out of this era? The future president of the United States is messaging their friend on Facebook right now, and instead of having letters, we have ones and zeros that are... Yeah, like, and we have... Wow, that's weird to think about. We have, we don't have letters from, like, how do you write a book about modern-day Alexander Hamilton, for example? Like, they had a whole bunch of letters, granted not all of the letters, given the whole, you know... Uh, watch them burn thing uh, if you're familiar with Hamilton at all uh, and you know burning a lot of the letters that Hamilton wrote Eliza uh, but I mean will Facebook just open up that kind of stuff and that's sort of a weird thought to think about isn't it like all the conversations you've had on Facebook Messenger or on AOL Instant Messenger that are saved they're there like the, all of that, the only way to, like, have a historical record in that same way is opening that up. And is Facebook ever going to do that? Like, not, that's well, their I mean, proprietary stuff. Yeah, not to mention that, like, I mean, you have things like encryption that make sure things are very ephemeral Yeah, nowadays. I was going to say, anything that's being sent in any privately, like, end-to-end -end encrypted app, that's just, it doesn't exist. Yeah, I mean, the only way to... Man, the only way to have that is to, like, have people consent to going through that. You don't have, like, letters that you can have find from generations ago that it's just like, here, here's a first-person account of this thing. Like, we have all this data that's there, but, yeah, man, like, that's going to be so weird. Like, another question is, like, if, so, like, a big company like Coke goes out of business, like Coca-Cola... Will the recipe become public domain? Mm. Um, so you have weird things like th that that are trade secrets. But um, going back to the uh, sort of games thing, you, you do have a lot of people out there that are actually doing this sort of preservation stuff, which I think is sure. very commendable. I think there's a games preservation There is. Project. There's a games preservation society yeah. that I got some... Oh, what did I get? I got like Pokemon Red, Blue yeah. on that because I couldn't find them anywhere else. Yeah, but like... you. So then you start you start trying to make sure that you can like sort of save these games like who's really going to do it right and then w you then you have people that are like you know essentially dumping these rom carts on the internet and a lot of the you know a lot of games preservationists are basically like this is a treasure trove because like this is stuff that like was dumped by some you know 25 year old dude that like didn't really know it was just uploading them to get torrent seeds yeah. or seeding power um and basically ended up uploading a bunch of versions of these old games that you're never really ever going to see. Um, especially, like, we think about, like, preserving games like WoW or, like, the big ones, right? Like, we talk about Call of Duty or whatever. Sure. But, like, go back to the PS2 or even the Wii era, and you kind of look at it and you're like, huh, there are a lot of B-tier games that come out that you don't really see nowadays, where to nowadays it's either AAA or indie yeah but you have a lot of these like who's gonna who's is anyone really going to save barbie's dream house yeah or like all the hannah montana games that used to be all over oh, the place God. i remember that was like the thing for a while when i'd go into best buy or whatever to try and buy a game and it'd be like uh hannah montana hannah montana disney channel call of duty 
more Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network. I still all those have kind a of copy like, of the Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen game for my uh, Game Boy Color nice. somewhere in my room. <laughs> that's awesome. I oh I I have something for my Game Boy Advance that's somewhere at my parents' house that was. Uh, just a total crap game that my grandma bought me. I had, I had uh, three games for my GBA. I had Pokemon Yellow. I had well, that was well, for the Game, Game Boy, Boy Color. Color, but you could play it on GBA. Yeah, just throwing that one out there. Uh, sorry, should have should have clarified on that. But I had Pokemon Yellow. I had was it Advance Wars, the one that was kind of like vaguely RTS based. I think it I was... had like four games. Yeah, yeah. So, I, well, that it, that, I think Advance Wars was turn-based tactical. Yeah, I think that was the, one of the ones I had. And then some other just like total crap game that my grandma bought me. Uh, and yeah, I mean, nobody really thinks about preserving some of those. But at the Some of those right. really shitty games. Yeah, like, but, why I mean, would you want to play? That's, that's a valuable record. Uh, like many of those, well, not all the old movies are valuable records, but... And, you know, I, I do wonder with some of those things, like particularly with games, what happens when when game properties, if a company goes out of business, what happens when a property enters public domain? Cause, I mean, well, that's it, sometimes it doesn't. So yeah. like so a, a very interesting property that I followed a lot due to uh, the friends over at Giant Bomb uh, were the the property of Windjammers. Which is this weird disc-based Neo Geo game? Is that the uh, the VR one? Or? No, it's, no. So it's it's like it's this old Neo Geo game where it's basically like it's like Pong except kind of fight with fighting game controls. Oh, 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 oh Where you're throwing oh, a disc back and yes, forth. Yes, I remember this one. I remember seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It just recently. So recently, it turns out there is a Dot EMU who is actually technically an emulation company, which is real weird. Hmm. Um. Actually, decide to remaster and re-release it along with online support, which came out I think last year at E3. Um, under uh, Sony's press conference, and it's basically like this code was like kind of floating in the ether for a long, long time. Like some people were able to track it down through some like crazy maniacal methods, but it's very hard because like you look at things like you, you look at other properties, especially th- anything owned nowadays by T that was owned by THQ mm. is like all over the place. You don't know where any of that is. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be, you know, and stuff entering the public domain is a really important step for a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, we would not know about it's a words. We would not know. <coughs> fuck. Uh, we would not know about it's a wonderful life today if it weren't for it entering the public domain because that company went out of business long, long ago and NBC needed a movie to show for Christmas season in like the late 70s or something, I think. And they just happen to say, oh, all right, here's a movie in the public domain with Jimmy Stewart, uh, Frank Capra film. Uh, you know, let's put that on and see what it is. And people were like, oh, shit, it's this true. is really we good. We have spending this whole time worrying about the stuff that's going to go away. But what about all the stuff that's we're always going to have? Yeah. Like, you think about the freaking library at Alexandra that burnt to the ground. Like, it would take a lot more than one fire to eliminate the unbelievable yes, vast breadth of knowledge on the internet. That's very true. Like, if we can keep... You just know, one server if running. If can keep some servers running, <laughs> there is a, you know, the collection of all human knowledge that's there. So that's lovely, you know, if aliens come back and they're like, there is a server running, let's tap in. And human civilization. <laughs> Look at all the dick pics. Uh, and cat videos. Yeah, dick pics and cat videos. That's that's pretty much what aliens would probably learn about humanity. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that'll be 
it'll be interesting to see what happens and let's hope the world doesn't end so we get to keep enjoying it <laughs> yeah so we can we can see what happens yes here's to all the pirates that decide to dump the roms yeah. <laughs> indeed uh evelyn what if uh what... i want to talk about couch co-op but i think that might be too much of a topic for we've been going for how long uh it's, uh, it's about about 40 minutes 43. yeah 43. yeah we still got time Oh, we, I think we can do a bit more. Yeah, let's talk some couch co-op for a bit. We, a couple of weeks ago, talked about how you can't do couch co-op for... Or people are moving away from couch co-op. Yeah. And Halo was a big example of that. Yeah, so we talked a lot about that, and then it turns out that they're, they, apparently the next Halo is going to have couch co-op. Ooh, yeah. Uh, I don't know how true that is, but... Yeah, we'll see. Um, Me and a couple of friends have been really into couch co-op games lately. And in some ways, it's more like... LAN parties where we get together and all sit sure. on our computers in a circle around a table. But we played um you guys know the game Overcooked? Yeah. Yes, Overcooked. It's a wonderful yeah, game. Well there's yeah, there's a lot of these like now at least nowadays that are more like local multiplayer yeah, indie it, games it, that you get like like It used to be that that overcooked. was like the main genre of game. Yeah. yeah. Like ten years ago. That's what everybody wanted to play. And now it's it weird indie titles like Overcooked and Octodad is another one that is yeah. kind of similar. Like it's like the stuff that's artificially challenging. Yeah, is can... I think the stuff that is really starting to be a thing. Like things the stuff like where... Towerfall or uh, yeah, uh, Samurai Samurai Gun. Yeah, there's a whole a bunch that are, you know, very much that the couch co-op where everyone's working towards that same goal, but that goal is actually just artificially difficult for no reason, and it's just a lot yeah. of people screaming at each other. That's very popular right now. It's it's phenomenally popular, and you know it was really popular in the past because there were yeah. so many multiplayer games back then. So I wonder why we moved away from that for so long when it's obviously the best kinds of games. Well, so I think there's there's a very interesting uh, thing way to think about it, at least from a technical perspective, is you look at things like Halo, and the reason that they didn't have it, I think, was probably due to performance. So yeah, I mean, frame very, rate drops. Yeah, frame rate drops, and trying to have to rend- having to render two screens at that level of quality. Um, I could see very easily, um, considering that like Halo Five was on Xbox One, but Halo Four was uh, three hundred and sixty. Halo right, Halo Four was three hundred and sixty. Three hundred and sixty. Yes. But uh, regardless, like you, you kind of like look at that and just wonder what the performance drops are. I, I there was actually a very interesting uh, thing about some local multiplayer that I played recently that I didn't realize um, until recently was that Mario Kart sixty four, when you play with four people, there's no music. Hmm. Because I never thought about there's that. There's not enough memory. Yeah. Huh. There's not enough memory to add the music <laughs> to it while you have four players. So there's sort of two different classes of couch co-op games then. There's the ones where everyone has their own screen and it has to be rendered individually. And games where everyone's on the same screen you have to keep track of your character as you're running around. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's like Super Smash versus like GoldenEye. Yeah, yeah. very much so. And yeah, I think you know the technical thing is certainly a big part of it. Uh, the money thing also is another big part of it where we talked about this, I think last time, was... Uh, how much more money you can make if four people are buying four systems and four games as opposed to one person buying one system, one game, and four controllers. Uh, and, you know, so I think a lot of the... what Part of the reason we went away from it is because a lot of the big publishers are going would be going for things that could make them a lot more money. Uh, and the reason that we're seeing a big resurgence uh, seems to be coinciding with the rise of indie games. And as indie games are sort of taking off, you know, they're concerned. 
I'm not going to say they're not concerned with profit, but they're less concerned with big profits in the way the big companies are. They're less yeah. concerned with the safe yeah. bets, I guess, I mean, is the way to put that. Yeah, to be fair to the publishers, like, um, when it's the single screen uh, co-op or even multiplayer, local multiplayer, stuff like Smash or, like, a lot of the like, games like, uh, yeah, like Towerfall, etc., um, that I'm totally fine with. But sure. split screen, give me my own screen. Because, like, that that's just my personal opinion of it. Because, <laughs> A, everyone else is a dirty asshole that wants to look at my screen. Yeah, screen And, cheap. B, it's just, just having that having that extra space just is much nicer and not having to squint at the screen. Especially when you have something like a two-player co-op, which is, I think, the worst out of all settings. Because either you split the screen horizontally, so you have a really, really wide view. Or you split the screen, God forbid, vertically. And then you have, like, this weird Tony Hawk pro skater yeah. <laughs> like oh my god i can't see anything it becomes a totally different game like you know i've i play a bunch of mario kart with my girlfriend and boy i was doing some time trials the other day and it is a totally different game in single player i was like trying the 200 cc mode uh again because it had been a while and i was like man this is just a completely different game and it just doesn't it doesn't feel the same at all i still it's still wonderful mario kart is the new Mario Kart is one of my favorite racing games ever, if not my favorite. But, uh, yeah, that weird technical stuff of doing it on the same screen does kind of does kind of fuck with you a bit. Yeah, and I, I think that there, are, I, I do kind of like that um, indie games are kind of coming back and bringing it back. Um, you might not see it in more mainstream games, and especially uh, um, in my opinion, a lot of my favorite mainstream games tend to be single player. Um, but with like the indie games that are a lot more fun, it's much easier to kind of that out as a party game rather or with a couple of friends yeah um with like something like as intense as like call of duty or something like that it's usually like the people that really want to play multiplayer are just gonna play online yeah and and those are a lot more graphically intense as well like something like a uh an overcooked or you know the uh the newest marios that are multiplayer super mario 3d world and uh new super mario wii u i think it was <coughs> Are the two most recent ones. Uh, Like, those ones you can have up to five people playing, but it's, again, that all-the-same-screen sort of thing, and there's less concern about the technical limitations. much simpler animation. very, very simple, very, very... uh, There's just not a whole lot going on there. It tends to be a lot more cartoony. Yes, and I think that... That that actually plays really heavily into the sort of different outlooks on how to play the games too. Yes, so it's very like, much so. You're not going to take a game like Octodad seriously <laughs> yes. for layers and layers of reasons. <laughs> yes. I don't know about you, but like any game, even games that like like I recently had this where in order to get certain skins on Overwatch we had to play Heroes of the Storm. Uh in order to get certain skins. <laughs> and I I'm not a big fan of Heroes of the Storm. I like MOBAs but I don't really like Heroes of the Storm. It's not really great. Um, so I was playing with a couple of friends and, because that's how you get the skins sure. for Overwatch. And they were like, yeah, like I don't really care about this game. And then me, I was just like, I just started naturally calling, shot calling. And started going like, <laughs> it's going. And they were like, wait, why do you care so much? I'm like, because I want to win. <laughs> so like, it doesn't matter like I'm how cartoony. I'm competitive for your casual attitude. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it doesn't matter how, how like cartoony something looks or something like that. Like I, and you look at something like Super Smash Brothers, which has become this insane... Or at least Melee has become this, like, crazy, long-living fighting game. Yeah, and, you know, it seems like 
coincidence, you know, I think it coincidence that eh, it sort of matches with the rise of Melee, but Smash 4 is also becoming a really big scene in its own right. And it, it you know, I've, uh, what's funny is I've probably screamed more at people when playing cartoony games than I have well, when playing uh, any sort of realistic game. Like, when I've played Overcooked, there are definitely oh, a lot of every cussing. Every swear word I've ever known in one sentence. Yep, <laughs> just a lot of like, fuck, fuck, chuck, chuck, God damn it, give me the fucking tomato, you stupid idiot! What no, the no, fuck no, are you no, doing? No, 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 the car's moving, the car's moving, the car's moving, get over to the other side. Oh, no, we're all You're stuck over here. You're not the ice, you cunt! God, I love, I love Overcooked. It, oh, I want to play that game now. It's so much fun. It's such a mess, but I've, yeah, that and, uh, you know, the other thing, like, you know, the Jackbox games are another thing where it's like a whole different form of couch multiplayer, oh too. Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, like, I, yeah, because, like, I, I played a lot of the original Jackbox games on the PC, which I thought were very, very fun. Yeah. Um, and then, like, the whole the whole new games you kind of had nowadays are, like, everyone can pull out their phone, you have multiple controllers, you can play it with up to 128 people, which I think is crazy. Yeah. Uh, crazy. And play it with people online. Or and, the Quiplash stuff, where it's, like, yeah. I've seen some Twitch streamers where they're like going 2, at... Like 2,000 Yeah, like 2,000 people with doing a game of Quiplash, and it's like, this is insane! <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Those games are fun, though. I love them. There was a, a Jackbox game I was playing recently... Uh, called like T-shirt Dojo or something. Oh, that like one! That. that one is probably my favorite. That might be the, the best uh, Jackbox game they've ever made. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the concept behind it is basically you. I think do you draw the picture first, or do you come up with the topic first? Uh, you draw the picture first. Basically, All right, yeah, yeah. Or, or no, because I thought I thought you you come up with randomized topics yeah. that then everyone gets like gets well, one right. So what I remember about it is you have there's sort of two steps. One of them is you draw a picture. And the, uh, I f the order doesn't really matter. The first one is you draw some picture of just whatever you can possibly think of. Uh, and then the next thing is just writing a bunch of different phrases. And then what ends up happening is people, uh, other people get a picture that somebody else drew and a bunch of phrases that other people wrote. And then they have to match them together in order to create a t-shirt. Uh, and it is really really funny the kind of stuff that you can put together like what party pack is that uh i think it's the newest one it's like i think uh, it's either it's, three or four it's i Jackbox. think it's four it's four, four it I has guess. to be four yeah it's really fun there was a one of the ones i had was i think the best part about the game is you can buy the shirts yes that is really? the best part i'm so sad there was a shirt i we made in the the game i played of it that i really wanted to buy because it was easily the best one we had it was just uh uh, the drawing was just like a smiley face going like the like basically flat smiley face like if you've ever seen yeah. that emoji just mm. uh, and the, the had written a little bubble above, I'd written a little bubble up over their head because I'd made the drawing was just it just said wow I'm white because I'd initially <laughs> used a like white color on a black t-shirt and I was just like wow I'm white and then the caption that somebody wrote underneath it was biscuit <laughs> and it just was like it was the fact that somebody put those two things together in that way was so perfect and it was so funny and it's i was the kind like of thing that like it's a little bit funny now but i can imagine how i would be just like on the floor yeah if it, i was having that experience in it's real just time. it's one of those things where yeah that's a lot of the jackbox games it yeah. tends to be you have to be there in the moment it's a lot of like oh that's really funny because like watching it afterwards or like trying to trying to watch other people play when you're not involved yeah. it's like at its best, it's like a better Cards Against Humanity. Like, at its best. And 
you know, it's one of those things and where... And fighting words. Well, I believe me, I have played Grounds of... Uh, there's still something I'm sad about in a Cards Against Humanity game I played where uh, it was... I think you were actually there for it, Carlo. Was I? I think you were. Uh, it was somebody's birthday party uh, that I think you were at, and the card that came up was now opening on Broadway, Blank the Musical. And the winning one was not me. It was Auschwitz, the musical, uh, which is pretty funny. But I was pretty proud of my comp- my card, which was Anal Beads, the musical. I thought that was much funnier. It's so funny how with that game, some of the answers just stick with you for the rest of your life. Yep. The greatest card that I ever saw played in that game was somebody had the Christmas pack. So it was, for the third day of Christmas, my true love gave to me three French hens, two turtle doves, and a super soaker full of cat pee. (laughs) (laughs) And it was... That's pretty good. Perfect number of syllables. It rhymed. Yeah. I want a shirt that says that. uh, (laughs) We still have... We have a few things that have kind of, like, stuck around for a while. One of them was, it's like, the new book by Barack Obama, The Audacity of Not Believing in Giraffes. And we were really happy with that one. Uh, yeah, I'd share all of the ones that I remember, but... It's probably not for polite company. No. Yeah. It, not for what? We, uh, we... We, I, we have a... Me and my friends, no, like... That's fair. Me and my friends made it a habit of uh, writing a... Every single time we played, we would write custom cards. Yeah. At the very beginning. Um, like, either a black or a white card. Just, like, I just, like, just do it. Yeah. Just do it, and then we ended up with some of like the worst things yeah. in the world. I'm I've <laughs> I've got some good custom cards. I'm very proud of them. But uh, yeah. no, the other oddly Still enough, oddly enough, cards. all of the uh, all of the ones that I really like are the ones that are oddly kind of innocent. Like one of them that is also kind of a legend is blank, kind of a mess in. Or it's like blank, good in theory, kind of a mess in practice. That's the black card. Yes. And everyone was playing ones that are like my life. Being in a relationship, something dirty and sexual. I don't know, but the winning one was just wearing an octopus as a hat. <laughs> and it was just like, what? Was <laughs> oh, that like the describe my relationship status? Oh, uh, no, it was like, literally just like okay. blank. Yeah, because yeah, that's nice in theory, yeah. kind of a mess in practice. And yeah. it's just like wearing an octopus as a hat. And that's the, like, yeah, I love when a game that can be dirty ends up being yeah. innocent, or when a game that is supposed to be innocent, ends up being dirty. In either case, I think that can be really fun. Yeah. And it's actually tying back into Jackbox, because you can totally play that game, any of totally the Jackbox games, in a totally innocent way, but nobody I have never, ever has. I have <laughs> never played that game innocently I mean, even theoretically once. you could, but I'm not sure it's actually literally possible. Yes. I mean, it's just too easy. I mean, that's the same thing, like the same thing, boy... I remember when, before Cards Against Humanity, was Apples to Apples. Mm-hmm. You never play it's that. It's really hard to make that game dirty. I've tried, goddammit. Oh, no, no. Helen Keller's, I've, like, the best card in the I've, world. I've done a lot of them. I, yeah, it's, it was... I've done things that I'm not tears. proud of in, in Apples like, to in Apples. Like, in that game, occasionally you can get a card where you're like, ha-ha, that's kind of inappropriate. But there's lots of, like, for Cards Against Humanity or Jackpots, it's like, ha-ha, this is why I'm going to hell. Yep, it, it's... It's different tiers of badness, It's games opinion. that I would not want to play with my parents because I don't want to know... I don't want my parents to know how shitty of a person I can be. My... Oh, my God. I don't I think my parents to, would get the jokes that I make. My parents played Cards Against Humanity one time at a friend's house. They're like, oh, we really want to play this game, Evelyn. You should... You, you should bring your copy down and we'll play with you. And I was like, I would rather burn these cards to ashes than play this yeah, game with if, you. <laughs> if my parents ever saw my custom cards, I'm pretty sure they'd disown me. Uh, anyway, uh, 
some fun talking there. Hopefully you guys enjoyed uh, listening and watching. And uh, I'm sure you especially enjoyed listening to all of our favorite cards against humanity cards. Yes, Everyone definitely. That's definitely the best yeah. part of any sort of podcast about video games for sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. I have been Zach. I'm still Evelyn. And I'm Carlo. All right. Thanks again for listening and uh, have a wonderful day. Bye. All right. How do I, how do I stop recording? <laughs> <laughs> you should leave that in.